Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to... There we go. Welcome to Sunday School this morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, we do have uh, a few prayer requests this morning. Um, probably saw the uh, uh, email already, but Lois Eastman is in the hospital uh, and just had surgery yesterday, actually. It was supposed to be postponed until Monday, but she ended up having the surgery uh, yesterday and is, of course, still in the hospital and recovering from that. And what they took out of her colon is currently being uh, evaluated, so more to come on that. Uh, But she has been moved. She was in a different room. Now she is in room 460 at McLaren, if you would like to visit. And if you didn't see the email, her first name is actually Anna. (laughs) as it's listed at the hospital, so you need to know that, or they won't let you up to see her. Uh, And Joy, Hazel's daughter, Hazel uh, is Nancy's sister, attends the ladies' Bible study, uh, and she's back in the hospital because of a blockage in the colon for her as well, which is uh, what Lois was dealing with. So if you can be in prayer for her, that would be appreciated as well. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together as a church body and to learn from your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for revealing the truth to us uh, because if we are left to our own devices and our own thinking, we know that it will be a complete disaster as as it has been in the past and we are seeing the world moving that way now because we are rejecting the truth of your word and I just thank you for this church I thank you for these people and their dedication to the truth and uh, we come to you as our God and our creator uh, this morning and asking for that you would be with Elois. We know that you are with her. You promise in your word that you will never leave us or forsake us. And I just pray that you would make that evident to Jim and Elois this morning as they're going through this trial. We pray that you would encourage her and and Jim also uh, just give him the strength that he needs to, to be with her and uh, to take care of all all of the things that he needs to in this incredibly stressful time. And uh, just pray that that you would bring healing to Elois if that would be your will. We certainly ask for that. And uh, we also think of Joy this morning, and we pray that you would be with the doctors who are dealing with her situation and give them wisdom. And we pray that you would bring healing to her as well. And uh, we just thank you, for Nancy and her sister Hazel and uh, their testimony of faith in you. And we just pray that you would be with them, encourage them, and lift them up this morning. And now, Lord, we just pray that you would be with this time, that it would be honoring and pleasing to you. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so with that, we will look at a few articles this morning. Uh, as usual, not, not a lot of good news uh, today. I'd like to find some. If anybody has a source of good news, that would be <laughs> much appreciated. Uh, this one is from Fox News, April 11th, earlier this week. Uh, California mom confronts school district after 11-year-old changed genders without her knowledge. 11 years old, so that's like fifth or sixth grader. I think I was uh, 
in the sixth grade at 11. I'm not sure, but that's pretty young. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, I don't tell you these things to discourage you or uh, that sort of thing, but I remind us of these because um, this could happen here, and it probably, uh, it may likely already be happening to people in, uh, in our town. <laughs> so just to, just to make us aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, the article says, a California mom is outraged after her daughter's school district upheld a parental secrecy policy allowing school officials to offer gender counseling without informing parents. Aurora Regino said her 11-year-old daughter's elementary school in the Chico Unified School District helped her transition from female to male during the last school year. The last school year. Unbelievable. A guidance counselor kept her in the dark during the entire process. During one of the meetings, my daughter told the counselor she wanted to tell me about her new identity. They ignored her request and did nothing to support her in letting me know what was going on at school, she told school board members at a meeting last Wednesday. And so we could have the the thought that, oh, well, this is in California and uh, yeah, that could never happen here. Uh, that's that would be what is called sticking your head in the sand, uh, because after all, uh, I don't remember what brought it up, but for some reason, I think I made the statement uh, when we were sitting around outside enjoying the beautiful afternoon one day this week. Made the statement that every city in the country has of a hundred thousand people or more has a Democrat mayor, not to bring politics into this. But that was my statement. And then I thought, well, maybe we ought to look it up and see, (laughs) see whether or not that's true or it's just a feeling. And lo and behold, there are about, I think it was 26 of the top 100 uh, population cities in America have Republican mayors. I might've said governor early, Republican (laughs) mayor. So that's out of the top 100. So that means that, no, it's not everyone. In fact, 26% of them are Republicans. And care to take any guesses as to which two states have the most Republican mayors in cities over 100,000? California and Texas. California is right up there with the number of Republican governors. And if memory serves, Chico was... Uh, Maybe one of those areas. I'm not. I'm not sure. So, at any rate, this can happen because these people. This is at a school board meeting, and the school board is probably one of the most important local government uh, elected positions because they have a direct effect on what's going on in the schools, obviously. And so. Uh, the board, in this case, the board weighed a measure that would allow for, quote, more parental inclusion, but ultimately voted to keep the existing so-called, quote, parental secrecy policy in place with a three to two vote. Okay. So, <laughs> Just, this city, the mayor's Republican? I'm not sure. I, I'm not going to make a, a okay. statement, but it's... It's possible. <laughs> I think Texas has the most Republican mayors okay. of cities, over a hundred thousand, and number two was Cal- was California. California. Yes. Really. Look it up. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> Good question. But that's uh, according to the website I read. That's the facts of the situation. So. Uh, yeah, so just be aware. Be aware of what's going on in, uh, in the local schools. It can happen here. Uh, Daily Wire, April 10th. Headline says, FBI sought to monitor Catholic churches using tripwire uh, sources to combat domestic terrorism, House lawmaker says. U.S. House of Representatives Jim Jordan 
representative, Jim Jordan, said Monday at least one undercover FBI employee sought to monitor parishioners in Catholic houses of worship to combat domestic terrorism using tripwire and sources. Uh, tripwire is kind of a thing that the FBI does to catch terrorists. According to internal documents released by House Judiciary Committee, FBI authorities plan to use churches as churches as new avenues for tripwire and source development, sending a message that federal law enforcement may be listening while Americans practice their First Amendment, Amendment rights to worship freely. In a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, Representative Jordan pointed out the agency cited a desire to sensitize congregations in the Richmond er, sanitize, I think that's supposed to be, uh, congregations in the Richmond area of Virginia to the warning signs of radicalization and enlist their assistance to serve as suspicious activity tripwires. So the FBI is going into churches, recruiting people within the church, essentially, to spy on the parishioners uh, of the various churches and then report back to the FBI. Based on the limited information produced by the FBI to the committee, we now know that the FBI relied on at least one undercover agent to produce its analysis and that the FBI proposed that its agents engage in outreach to Catholic parishes to develop sources among the clergy and church leadership to inform on Americans practicing their faith, Jordan wrote in a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray on Monday. The letters alleged the Bureau expressed interest in leveraging existing sources and or initiating Type 5 assessments to develop new sources with the placement and access. Uh, and then it goes on from there. Uh, <laughs> so that's a little... Uh, uh, again, you could think, well, that's the Catholic Church and these these are people who are uh, you know, celebrating the Latin Mass, and why would you even do that? And it all you can make any sort of excuses that you want to, but nevertheless, this is the government of the United States going to churches and trying to uh, arrest them essentially for the for their for their beliefs, which is very very sobering. To say, to say the least. And of course, uh, if they're doing it there, they could do it here, they could do it anywhere. So, uh, just to make us aware, again, what's going on. And here's one that's uh, sort of, well, it would be funny if, if it weren't so sad. Uh, Breitbart, April 13th. This is the new <coughs> NASA director. NASA director swears oath on Carl Sagan book instead of the Bible. The new director of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center chose to swear her oath of office, not on the Bible, but on a copy of Carl Sagan's 1994 Pale Blue Dot. For her swearing-in ceremony last week, Dr. Mackenzie Listrup, who served as an AIP ASA Congressional Fellow in the office of uh, Massachusetts Representative Edward Markey from 2011 to 2012 opted out of swearing before the Almighty in favor of the agnostic astronomer Sagan. Uh, in, a, in its tweet announcing the ceremony of induction for its new director, NASA Goddard cited Sagan, imagination will often carry us to worlds that never were, but without it we go nowhere. Um, yeah, the 45-year-old Listrup, the first woman ever to lead the Maryland Space Center, explained her decision in an emailed statement. Sagan worked very hard to make science accessible and meaningful to everyone, and Pale Blue Dot emphasizes the importance of exploring our universe and understanding our home planet, she asserted. Given its personal significance to me and how its message resonates with the work we do at NASA Goddard on behalf of the world... It felt apropos to include it in the ceremony, she said. Uh, which, I guess I'm not sure what the swearing-in uh, entails 
it for to be the director of the NASA Space Center Goddard Flight Center. Uh, however, I I know what it entails to be sworn in as an officer in the military, and it has it has to do with upholding your responsibilities that are given to you, and that you are essentially promising that you will do that, and that you will uphold the Constitution and all of these various things, and I, I am sure that it's the same for the NASA Flight Center, uh, that they are essentially promising to do what they're hired to do. And uh, Carl Sagan has no authority over us and whether or not we are discharging our duties properly. That's why people swear on the Bible when they're uh, sworn in as a chief justice or a member of Congress, uh, the president, and these kinds of things, because essentially they're recognizing that there is a God and that he has transmitted his truth to us and that I promise to uphold the duties of my office that I'm entering into. And of course, this, this just makes a complete uh, mockery of that, of that idea. And so we could have the feeling, of course, that everything is, is falling apart. And I would say that that's the wrong perspective to have. Everything is falling together exactly perfectly the way that God wants it to. And he, in his uh, literal infinite wisdom, has chosen that you and I are to be living in this particular time. And so with that, we need to be encouraged in his word in order to be properly outfitted and equipped to live in these times. We have to have his word. So we are utterly uh, thankful and grateful for it and for this time to be able to study it. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Very practical, of course, book of the Bible, the most practical book of the Bible as a, as a whole, as it is uh, written in such a way, uh, its stated purpose is to give us wisdom. And that wisdom is the application of knowledge to our lives, to live in a way essentially, that is in keeping with God's Word. Well, how do we do that? Good question. The entire book of Proverbs lays out for us, in some places, even step by step, how to do that, how to live for the Lord, and what it looks like when we do live for the Lord in, in uh, specific areas. And one of, the, one of the ways that we can know if we are on the right track, it was mentioned uh, in our prayer time this morning, the elders' uh, prayer time before the service, that uh, it was something along the lines of uh, that Joe said, help us to, to love the things that you do, something in that, I don't know the, remember the exact words, but something along those lines. And the opposite of that, is true. That yes, of course, we need to be uh, encouraged in and love the things that the Lord loves. But guess what? The Lord hates some things as well, according to his word. This isn't, uh, I'm not getting this from the uh, Westboro Baptist <laughs> press release or something ridiculous like that. This is straight out of God's word. God hates some things. And so, therefore, Contrary to what we will uh, hear in the press and at our schools and uh, from mass media in general, it's okay to hate some things. Uh, it's not okay to hate people, uh, but some people, enemies of God, there's evidence for that in the scriptures that... Uh, various people did at times, but it is definitely okay to hate the same things that God hates. Obviously, <laughs> that is the case. And so today, 
We will look at some of those things. In fact, there are seven of them mentioned in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And uh, they are pride, deceit, murder, evil schemes, licentiousness, false testimony, and gossip. And so this morning, we'll just jump right in. Uh, no alliteration this morning uh, with, <laughs> with this one anyway. We're just simply listing what is, is mentioned here in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. It says, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And so it becomes very obvious in reading this passage that God hates sin, and therefore it is okay for us to hate sin as well. That, that is uh, the reason for the title of the message. And that first sentence there, Verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Uh, could be confusing uh, and w- would probably be a place that skeptics would go, see, the Bible, it's just, I mean, you just can't even follow it. He says six and then he says seven. So which is it? Are there six things that the Lord hates or are there seven things that the Lord hates? And in fact, the answer to that question is neither. Neither. There's actually more than seven things that the Lord hates, and you can see several, uh, you could go to several examples. I just have two of them here on the screen, Deuteronomy 16.22, in addition to this list, Deuteronomy 16.22 says, you shall not set up for yourself a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. That sacred pillar would have to do with false worship. God hates uh, worshiping other gods besides him. Uh, Hence the first commandment that we shouldn't have other gods before him. God doesn't like that. God also doesn't like the deeds of the Nicolaitans. If you'll remember Revelation 2 and verse 6, uh, in one of the messages to the seven churches, he says, yet this, uh, to the Ephesians, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So we're not uh, perfectly clear what, it doesn't state exactly what the deeds of the Nicolaitans were. We can make some assumptions about that, but it doesn't say exactly what they were, but the Ephesians knew what they were. They hated those actions Primarily, I would say, because God hated those actions, whatever, whatever they were. So what does it mean when in Proverbs 6, 16, <clears throat> when it says there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him? Well, in keeping with the genre of this book, it's poetry. And so Solomon here is using a poetic way to express things that God hates. And this is actually a technique that is used other places in the book of Proverbs. For one, I believe it's also used in the Psalms as a way of emphasis, to a way to emphasize the last item that is listed uh, in the list. And Proverbs 30 and verse 18 <clears throat> says, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. So that is, so he says there are three. Yes, there are four. In fact, there are four. And it is just simply a way of emphasizing that last uh, item that is mentioned. Uh, And so in this case, the last item that we will get to that's mentioned, there is one who spreads strife among brothers. 
That is the seventh item in the list and is here being emphasized by Solomon as something that is uh, really kind of the culmination of the rest of the list. It ends up in someone who is spreading strife among the brothers, and we'll get to that as we, as we move through. The message here of these verses clearly is don't embrace sin. That is what uh, uh, America is doing today. We are embracing sin. We're not just uh, accepting it or saying, you know, oh, that's okay for them. Uh, we're making it a part of, of who we are. And that is a very dangerous uh, position to be in. And uh, again, this is not an exhaustive list. You'll notice that uh, probably one of the, the quote-unquote big sins in, in the America today, uh, homosexuality or uh, transgenderism, this isn't listed here. But again, not a complete list of the things that God hates. God hates all sin. Uh, let's just get it out there. Some commentators will say that's why, they're, why Solomon uses seven. Seven is the number of completeness. And so it's a way of saying God hates all sin, and then he just listed these. Uh, maybe. The fact of the matter from the Scriptures, of course, is that God hates sin. That's why he sent his son into the world, to die for the sins of the world. Nevertheless, people in the church will use, in Christendom, will use this idea that, oh, homosexuality isn't mentioned. Jesus never talked about it. Therefore, it's okay. And that, we, we cannot do that. We cannot go down that road. God hates sin. The Bible clearly states that that is sin. And therefore, it cannot be accepted uh, within, within the church. And that's to say it uh, not that we hate people. This isn't a license to hate people. This isn't a license to, uh, you know, kind of not have anything to do with people. We need to be praying for people who are involved in sin, whatever the sin is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that we in America, at least yet anyway, would not uh, knowingly prop up and support and exalt uh, drunkards, say, to be pastors. Oh, well, we just, uh, we just love having our pastor show up drunk and high on drugs or something when he gives us the word. That would be absolutely ridiculous. No one, no one would stand for that, want that. And so when we're uh, promoting homosexual pastors and these kinds of things, we are really on the wrong on the wrong side of what God wants for us to do. And we can't, uh, we can't be engaged in that sort of thing. And I find it interesting that when people make this sort of an argument that they use this sort of wooden, literal interpretation, oh, Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, therefore it's okay. It's very interesting to me that they use that method of interpretation when it fits their fits their agenda, but not uh, when it doesn't, uh, like a literal kingdom and these kinds, of, these kinds of things that we're talking about in Revelation. We're definitely under delusion if we think it's, it's wrong to hate sin, and we cannot uh, embrace evil in the name of, of tolerance. That's a, a very grave mistake that has led to judgment in the past and and will again today at some point so what are, what are the things that god hates in this list it begins with pride and and uh, here haughty eyes is is the way that solomon states that again this isn't a textbook uh, the bible and proverbs proverbs in particular is not a a textbook a systematic theology book that you that you'll have in a class in seminary, it's poetry. And so he uses uh, poetic ways of expressing things. And I'm thankful for that because if I wrote the Bible, it would be very boring uh, <laughs> because it would be full of uh, technical terms instead of the beautiful language that Solomon 
uses. Nevertheless, we can go to other places and see that when he says haughty eyes, he's talking about pride. Psalm 10, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4 say, In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. The haughtiness of his countenance, that's the same uh, thing that is being, same idea that is being expressed here in the haughty eyes. It is one of, of pride. Psalm 101.5 is another one that mentions the same kind of thing. Haughty eyes is pride, is what is being described here. And pride, always, you're going to notice, we should notice at any rate, that every one of these attributes, every one of these sins that is mentioned here is in some way deceptive. Pride is thinking of yourself in a deceptive way, thinking more of yourself than is actually the case. Oftentimes it will be thinking that there is no God and therefore I'm a God to myself. I can do whatever I want. And that, that is, uh, that's deceptive. You're deceiving yourself. And a prideful person oftentimes is de- deceiving themselves and leads to deceiving other people. And ultimately spreading strife among the brethren. Prideful people end up spreading strife among the brethren. And that's a real problem. And it, and it leads to destruction. Pride leads to destruction, according to the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to, than to divide the spoil with the proud. In other words, it's, it's better to to be among lowly people than it is to be among uh, wealthy, prideful people. Our, our spiritual well-being is much more important than our, than our physical well-being, if you will. And pride is something that needs to be eradicated uh, from the church. Psalm 101, obviously not written directly to the church, but nevertheless talks about uh, pride not being something that David would will stand for and need to eradicate these people from his very presence. Uh, we won't take the time to read that this morning. Paul mentions pride and how it needs to be eradicated from the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 5 And verse 6, your boasting is not good. Boasting is talking about your prideful attitude. That is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So again, there's another example of Paul using kind of poetic language and truths that are, or uh, ideas that are true for the Jewish people and their festival this time of year, actually, Passover, they would clean out the leaven from their homes, not have any leaven in their homes because it is representative of sin in the scriptures. And so they would get that out of their houses for this week of Passover. And Paul here is saying we need to be doing the same thing in the church, not just one week out of the year, but always. We can't, we cannot have pride in the church in particular is his point here. Your boasting is not good and it's contagious, kind of like leaven goes into the bread, spreads through, raises the whole, uh, the whole loaf of bread. That's what sin does in a church body. That's what sin did to the nation of Israel. That's why God was so uh, strict with them in the Old Testament times and gave them specific rules and regulations to follow to eradicate sin from their nation because it's only going to lead to problems. And of course, pride has no part in salvation. 
That's probably the number one thing for us to keep in mind. Pride. Uh, is there anything more prideful than thinking that you can earn through your good works of right standing with the God of the universe? Uh, perhaps thinking that there is no God is more prideful more prideful than thinking you can earn righteousness before him. However, it's very prideful to think that you can earn it. And in fact, that is why, uh, part of the reason at least why, salvation is based on faith alone, literally ceasing from doing works and only trusting in the work that Christ did for us. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. We receive it by grace through faith. Verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, because obviously, make no mistake, if it were up to us, we would boast, and then therefore forfeit our salvation, because Pride is a sin that God hates. So he just completely eradicates works so that there can be no pride in our salvation. Our only pride is in Christ. And that's we boast in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. The next Solomon gets right to, uh, states it outright, a lying tongue is something else that that God hates hates. That's why uh, bearing false witness is one of the Ten Commandments. And throughout, God expects truth. He expects us to be truthful people in what we say, because primarily uh, what we say is what's going on internally within us. And so uh, oftentimes, this uh, lying is directed at blameless people. Psalm 31, 18, David says, let, let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. You can see how even going to other passages that all these sins that God hates are, are interrelated, pride and lying about the righteous here. David says in Psalm 31, 8. That's the very definition of spreading strife among the brethren. Uh, being prideful, saying lies about other people for whatever, whatever reason, to cut them down, to make you look better, whatever. Whatever your uh, evil scheme is, that's another one that we'll get to, uh, that you're lying about and spreading strife among the brethren. These are things that, that God hates, of course. And these are the actions of the unsaved, we need to realize. Revelation 21 and verse 8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And now, hold on a second. Does that mean if I tell a lie after being saved, I'm destined for the lake of fire? Uh, no, it doesn't. Praise the Lord for that. Is that a license to now lie? Heaven forbid, as Paul says over and over in the book of Romans and really throughout his epistles. That's one of the charges against Paul. And coincidentally enough, one of the charges from other areas of Christendom against churches like ours that, oh, you're, you're just, you've got too much grace there. Uh, how, how are we supposed to know who's saved and who's not saved and these kinds of things? You're just, uh, you're, you're being uh, licentious. What you're teaching is going to lead to licentiousness. Well, uh, we're just doing our best to teach what the Scriptures say. Once a person puts their trust and faith in Christ, they are a saved person. We pass from death into life at the moment that we believe, and therefore, we cannot lose that salvation in spite of our sin because our sin has been credited to Christ 
on the cross. And so, therefore, we don't live like the devil because we're saved. No, in fact, we should be living like Christ because we are saved, who is the truth. I, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's part of the reason why uh, deceit, lying, evil schemes, spreading strife, all of these kinds of actions that have to do with deceit and lying are such an affront to God because He is the truth. And so when we act in a way that is contrary to the truth, we are upsetting Him. And that should not be what we are about as believers, of course. And Paul says in Ephesians 5.3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. He doesn't say that you're, going, that you're losing your salvation or the, these kinds of things. He says, why would you act like the people who are bringing wrath on the earth? Don't do that. Act like the one who saved you is essentially the message. So God hates a lying tongue. He also hates murder. It says there in verse 17, and hands that shed innocent blood. So murder is the taking of a, of a life uh, uh, in an innocent life for uh, not, I wouldn't say whatever reason because there could be exceptions to it. But nevertheless, it doesn't have to do with war or self-defense. Some uh, Christian sects or denominations will, uh, I believe firmly, misinterpret this idea of the shedding of innocent blood and they, they will not participate in any kind of war, war for their nation and these sorts of ideas. However, or even self-defense, uh, no, we can't defend ourselves. You can't have a concealed carry permit because you might shoot somebody and you don't have a right to, to be able to do that, they will say. However, I find it interesting that Luke 22 and verse 35, Jesus says, and he said to them, his disciples, when I sent you out without money, belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now... Coming towards the end of his life, he's going to leave them. Whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. That's one you don't really hear too often in the social justice churches of America today. Uh, if you don't, in, another, in 21st century, it would be if you don't have a gun, go sell your coat, go sell something and buy one is what Jesus is selling, telling them. Verse 37, For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Uh, and so, the taking of, of a life for self-defense or in warfare, uh, justified warfare, of course, is uh, acceptable in God's eyes. There are many examples of that. In fact, Jesus is going to come back at the end of the tribulation and annihilate all of his enemies, as we have seen in the book of, of Revelation. And we will be there, not as people swinging the sword, but as uh, uh, we will participate in it, in it as being spectators there as he, as he does that. There are certainly justified wars that uh, have been fought in in these kinds of these kinds of ideas, so it doesn't include that. We know what murder is, uh, but it does include abortion. If if ever there was a a perfect example of this, of what it says here in verse seventeen, and hands that shed 
innocent blood. Could there be a more innocent, a, a better example of an innocent person than an unborn child? In my mind, I don't think so. And unborn children are certainly living uh, in spite of what people will say. Luke 1.15, uh, the angel promises to uh, John the Baptist's father, for, it says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in the mother's womb. So certainly there is life there. He's filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he's in the mother's womb. Psalm 139 and 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Did you ever wonder why there is so much craziness? in our country today, uh, I think it has a lot to do with this idea that people uh, have had abortions and it's causing them to act crazily because my soul knows it very well that you formed me in my mother's womb. I know that. Uh, Everyone knows that. You know it very well that this is a person uh, that is being an innocent person. And this is something that God hates. Oh, by the way, God also hates when you hate your brother or hate anyone. That is the equivalent of murder. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. This is Jesus speaking, of course. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Not just hating him, but angry with him. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says you fools shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Rather sobering. God hates murder. God hates when we hate other people, uh, just giving you the facts here, according to God's word, we can stand back and say, oh, I don't do that. I've never murdered anybody. Uh, the wars that I fought in were justified. Uh, you know, whatever uh, excuse you want to make. I guarantee that, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I guarantee that I personally have engaged in, in hating other people. I won't speak for you. I'll just speak for myself. I've done that. So according to Jesus, I'm a murderer. Praise the Lord that he went to the cross and died for my sin. And I'm trusting in him. And that's not charged to my account anymore. He took care of that on the cross. And now it is incumbent upon me to not do that anymore because that's something that God hates. He also hates evil schemes and licentiousness. Verse 18 of Proverbs 6, he hates a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that run rapidly to evil. See how all of this has to do with deceit and deceitfulness and doing things that are contrary to the truth, devising wicked plans. That's kind of like what Satan did when he went into the garden. He devised a plan to uh, trick Eve into eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's devising a wicked plan. It is contrary to the truth and implementing a plan to uh, carry that out. Feet that run rapidly to evil. uh, Based in deception, always. Hearts that devise evil evil schemes, uh, verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. That's uh, right, (laughs) tells us, that's right where it's coming from. Our little innocent babies and and young ones are not inherently good uh, in spite of what we may think. All of our hearts, including theirs, unfortunately, it's so unfortunate. Even my little puppy dog, even his little heart is uh, deceptive. And evil, 
That is just the way he's made. And that's the same way with all of us. That is the way that we are made. Jeremiah 17, 9 states that very clearly. And when our hearts are left to their own devices without any control, it's never good. Never good. That is a demonstration of the the evil nature of our hearts. That's where we are living today. We are sliding down that slope today of doing what is right in our own eyes, just like they did before the flood. Genesis 6.5 says that, that the people were doing what was right in their own eyes, and it was continually evil. Everything that they were doing was evil. Sodom and Gomorrah, same kind of uh, spirit there. They, there was no no godliness, no God at all. They had eradicated God from their system of thinking and it devolved into Sodom and Gomorrah. The time of the judges, Judges 21-25, that very sad uh, commentary on life in Israel at that point of time ends with the people doing what is right in their own eyes. Uh, and it ends in judgment. The end of the age, according to Paul in Second Timothy, is going to be people doing what is right in their own eyes. Second Timothy 3.1, written in the church age to a pastor, telling him what it's going to be like at the end. Second Timothy 3.1. See if this rings any bells for us. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. <laughs> Selfie time. That, the, the very definition of loving yourself. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, <laughs> malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, Treacherous, reckless, conceiters, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Is, did Paul uh, get in a time machine and travel to America in 2023 when he wrote this uh, passage? No, he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit instructed him how it was going to be at the end of the age. In the last days, difficult times will come, lists everything that is happening in 21st century America. And why is that? Because people are doing what their hearts are devising. They have removed God from their, uh, their thinking there, uh, there are no constraints, therefore. We do whatever is right in our own eyes, and this, is, this will be the result. The good news is, of course, that our hearts are made right in Christ. And being in Christ, that's a phrase that is very, uh, I think, almost exclusively unique to the Apostle Paul in the Bible, being in Christ. We are in Christ by way of faith in Him. When we trust Him, uh, God places us in Christ, and then our hearts are made right. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so, therefore, don't act like the rest of the world. Don't be a person who devises evil schemes, and then runs to those evil schemes. Feet that run to evil. This is something that God hates. There is a, they are doing it quickly. They are coming up with these schemes and they are running to them. It is a desire for evil is what is being described here. And uh, of course, this is everywhere. There was a wonderful example of it this week. People who uh, run to evil, hearts that devise uh, evil schemes, uh, prideful, lying tongues, hands that are, uh, in this case, they didn't shed innocent blood, but they certainly uh, are doing damage to innocent people. I don't know if you saw the, the news about the Dalai Lama this past week. 
not even going to talk about it, but a supposed holy person uh, who is taking advantage of young children. This is the case throughout religions. Uh, evangelical examples as well. It's not exclusive to other religions. Other, uh, other people just take advantage of of other people. Run quickly to evil. Carl Lentz, I don't know, you know not to, well, to call somebody out. <laughs> yeah. He's... Uh, Watch the documentary. There's a documentary. Is that on Amazon? I'm not, I can't remember where we watched it, but there's a documentary about the Hillsong Church, about four or five parts. Very interesting, very enlightening. Uh, Carl Lentz is back, though. He's been, he's been exonerated, or he's back right with the Lord now. You can read about that as well. Uh, anyway, feet that run to evil. They do this quickly. That is something that God hates. He doesn't want us to be like that. He also hates false testimony and gossip. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among the brothers. False witness, of course, that's the ninth commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 16, bearing false witness. This is something that God hates. It's an act that's contrary to God's nature. God, God's nature is one that cannot lie. According to Titus uh, 1, 1 through 3, he's God, he cannot lie. And so why would we engage in that as believers in Christ? And of course, this shows the, the very importance of truth. Colossians 3 9, 3 9, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You are to be being conformed to the image of Christ, so do not lie. He said the same thing to the Ephesians. Uh, they were both prison epistles, if you'll remember. Uh, and so a lot of the information is similar. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another in the church. And that's why God hates gossip. Uh, it, verse 19.1, one, Who spread strife among the brothers. That's essentially uh, gossip that is being talked about there. Spreading strife, talking about other people. Uh, this doesn't mean that we can't be concerned with one another, pray for one another. Of course, that, that is something that we need to be engaging in. This is uh, taking advantage of people. This is tearing people down, trying to build yourself up. Uh, all of these kinds of things that are in, uh, involved in gossip. And of course, this is extremely dangerous to a church. James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell, James says, writing to believers. And, uh, and so, obviously, the spreading of strife within a church is something that will literally burn it to the ground. Or I guess it's not literally. Figuratively, will completely burn a church to the ground. And so, clearly, something that we cannot be engaged in. It will destroy a church. Philippians 4.2, I urge Eodia and I urge Sint. Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He wants these two ladies to live in harmony with one another, not tear each other down, not go tell your friend about how bad uh, Syntyche was to me the other day. You wouldn't believe what she did. These kinds of things can't have any part in a church because we are members of one another. This is like uh, you're cutting off your left hand because it made you, made you upset. That's ridiculous, a ri ridiculous reaction to this. And this is what we are in the church. We are all members or uh, various parts of a body, according to uh, the book of Ephesians and many other places. And so we can't be engaging in that. We need to be true in our dealings. We'll end with 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I am afraid 
Paul says that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. We need to be true in our dealings with one another, and it begins by being true in your dealings with yourself. That's what the first thing that's listed there is the haughty eyes that God hates. That's being honest with yourself, knowing who you are in light of who God is, and applying that truth throughout your life. If you're doing that, you're off on the right foot. If you don't do that, it's going to progress through these various things that God hates, lying, shedding of innocent blood, hating people for no reason. That counts as shedding, shedding innocent blood, according to Christ. Uh, and then you're going to devise wicked plans against these people that you are hating. You're going to run rapidly to evil. You're going to lie about them, and it ultimately it ends in spreading strife among the brothers. Let's not do that. Let's be honest in our dealings and hate the things that God hates. That's why it's, it's okay to hate some things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to look into your word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs that seems like it is a, a handbook for the 21st century. We just thank you so much for this uh, word. And we pray that you would help us to love the things that you love and make them a part of who we are. And we also uh, ask that you would help us to hate the things that you hate, that we would not embrace evil, that we would be true in our dealings with you and true in our dealings with with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.